we go to another topic? Oh, sure. We don't Must- want to be bogged mustaches? That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to bring up. Was mustache <clears throat> mustaches. That has been historically you. whether or not a man is to have facial hair. I have grew up in an era that harped on that. And as we're sitting here, two of us are fully bearded and one is not. And um, what's interesting is... So I think it kind of lays out already how we already feel about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> At least two-thirds of us anyway. Right. Well, no. I completely... Okay, I'll just come out and say it in the beginning. I believe the only biblical stand you can take upon whether a man should have facial... Is about facial hair on a man is that a man should have it. Should have it. Should have yeah. it. Not... I believe they took the absolute backward stand on what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, I believe, if you're going to take a stand, now please hear me. I'm not saying it's because as I'm speaking to you, I'm clean shaven, okay? Will, will you attest to that, Josh Lovelace? I will attest that he's clean shaven. <laughs> he's clean shaven. Okay. He well, let me tell you just a quick story about that. I grew up in a home where my dad, if he had his leg amputated in the morning, he was clean shaven. He was going to shave before he went in. He yeah. just... Deathly ill. Here's a true story. My father passed away about three months ago. The last time I saw him alive was on a Monday. He was. We already knew he was going to die. Um, when he communicated, he communicated like someone who had a heavy stroke. Um, he'd been in the... I mean, um, I helped him call my mother, who was going to come down the next day. And my mother said, what can I bring you? He said, please bring my razor. Mm-hmm. They have not shaved me today. Mm. That was on a Monday. He was dead on Saturday. Mm. That's who my father was. Sure. If he was conscious, he was going to shave. Yeah. Now, he did experiment some. He'd grow a mustache now and then. But So that's the home I grew up in. Uh, about, about four or five years ago, I grew a beard for about, and I can grow a full beard. I, I grew it for about, I grew it for exactly 30 days. There was a couple in my church that that was a huge stumbling block for them. It greatly bothered them that I was growing a beard. And, and I don't mean just that they didn't think I looked good with it or they didn't like it. They just truly felt it was wrong. And look, I'm in the I'm in the stage of life where I'm greatly losing my hair. I'm, you know, and so I got up before my church, you know, I've gone to different classes. I said, look, I'm not trying to be trendy. I'm just trying to make things work. Yeah. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to, <laughs> just trying to blend in, in public. I'm just trying to make things work. So I know there's gonna come a day where I'm gonna have to you know, shave my head and probably grow the beard, which is probably the look that I'm going to go to. But I have this family in my church that it is it is a major stumbling block to them. Mm. What do I do? Let me open it up to the two of you. How has this become? How has this become Bible doctrine? Whether or not a man should have a beard or not? Where did this come from? How 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 am I in this dilemma right now? Well, go ahead. No. I know what you want to say is just man up. No, <laughs> you know, one time I, um, there was a, this is a few years ago now, where 
whenever you're trimming your beard, every once in a while you you have an accident and you put the, you put the <laughs> wrong head on, you know, the, the long, and I and I cut mine too short, and uh, and there was a lady in our church I'll never forget. She she saw it and she kind of wrinkled up her nose, and and kind of shook her head. And I thought, yeah, okay, so it's actually better for me. Yeah. pastoring this church. No one wants to see that. They don't want to see this it. face, so That's cover right. it up, you know, and um, I, you know, it does, as a younger man, I probably would have said, you know, well, that's that's their problem, but if I'm their pastor and as a, as a little bit of an older, and I'm not old, I'm not old, none of us are old, but you get farther along and you realize it's just not, it wouldn't be worth the fight. So if, 99 of them didn't care, but one of them, it really was a hindrance to them. And I probably would, I would have done See, that's what you the, did. And I know people are listening right now saying, well, bless God, man up and do, <clears throat> you know. But at the other hand, there's zero people in the church that are offended that, that I'm clean shaven. Right. 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 But there's at least one family in the church mm-hmm. that it just really bothers them. And... They did grow up in that fundamental era that sure. just pounded the pulpit about men not having, and so they've developed this belief that it's scriptural. And it's amazing how you hold on to it and mm-hmm. you change it while not letting go of it. Because what's funny is, as I speak, as this particular man in our church is telling me that it's wrong for me to have a beard, he has a mustache. Sure. He has mm. facial hair. But his justification that grew out of trying to hang on to this was he had it before he was saved. So for some reason, something that is established before you're saved somehow is the justification that is used that it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you. So It just shows that you're, when you say man up though, I mean the most manly Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So my carnal self says, my carnal self goes to places when I hear things like that, that are not worth repeating. But spiritually, you know, I would respect, I respect your decision to do that. I, 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 I thought I looked good in the beard. I bet you I, did. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to. Um, did Karen think It you wasn't good? the only, my wife didn't, we were in that. Okay, we were in that unusual, it's in between. Sure. It's irritating. <laughs> right, 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 it's right. irritating to me. I can't stand it where I know if I'd just been patient with it, mm-hmm. it would have gotten past it. But I can also say a reason why I cut it off and why I haven't grown it back was because of this family in our church. Sure. Yeah. I just felt like I was going to be a stumbling block to them. But I know eventually, just because as I get older, my look is changing, and as I'm, as I said, as I'm trying to make things work, I know I'm going to have to grow it again to at least show that I can grow hair somewhere. I can't grow it on my head, yeah. but I can grow it on my face. You know, this goes back to knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could argue, you know, to that individual, you could say, well, is it, a, is it a sin? Because I'm sure there's other brothers in the church body that have beards. Right? Sure. So. And and we wouldn't say that there's a different set of standards for the pastor than we would in terms of personal holiness. If God 
expects the pastor to do it. He expects the pastor to do it because he's to be an example. He's to be an example to the flock of God. So he's an example in order that the flock of God know the direction they're to go in, right? His life is to be an example of the believers. So if, you know, if he looks at his brother and looks at you and says, you shouldn't have a beard, well, then he should also believe that his his brother, who's not the preacher, shouldn't have a beard. And you just, and, and you can very easily uh, disassemble that argument scripturally. But knowledge puffs up and charity edifies. And are we uh, not talking about 1 Corinthians 8? Right. You know, the weak. Right. I'm not saying this person is weak, I'm, my, my, but scripture, okay, if we're all things to all men, if we're going to be this way, our, our, our desire. As a, I know what mine is, um, and I'm sure you guys would testify, is that the folks in our church, the, the the people that we minister to, our family members, we should all desire to want to grow in grace, right? Right. We should all desire to get grow away. Grow in what? Grow in what? Grow in grace. I'm sorry. You said grow in what? I'm not going to say it again. I know what you said. I'm just <laughs> no, I don't want to say it emphasis, again. it's great. Go right. ahead. Grace. Right. Grace. Right. So... Um, if that's our desire, we're going to grow, right? So to, to get away from milk to meat, okay. First uh, Corinthians was it three, I had, you know, I had mm-hmm. to give you milk cause you're so carnal. If that's our desire, we want the weaker to become stronger, but what do we got to do? Well, in first Corinthians eight is all about, you know, for the weaker brother, I need to set aside. I'm not going to eat meat offered to idols. Is it what calls the weaker? Right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna shave if it causes a problem. So mine, I look like I was 12. Me too, though. That's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. I so face. I put, I, and now it took me three years to get enough hair on my face so it doesn't look like I'm 12 year old trying to grow facial hair. Right. Because that just makes it anyway. Just for men's silver really helped, though, didn't it? It did. Yeah. Just for men's silver. For those that are listening, I might have more hair than others. I have grayer hair than all. So yeah. around the table. Yeah. Just saying. Anyway, um, I don't know where I was going now. I got my mind went You're to gray You're talking hair. about, about you know, charity, about yeah. not yeah. causing your Not bro- causing your brother to stumble and yeah. the weaker, but we want them to grow. And I'm not saying, well, you know what? I can have facial hair and that's not going to bother. We have biblical authority to say that, I think. You know, like you said, you can you will never find where you can't, but you have all kinds of teachings in here to show the principle that to to define the genders, he's gonna have facial hair. So um I don't know, I'm kinda Romans fifteen, right? Is that what you're talking about? We yes. men that are strong yes. ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, of the weak, and not to please ourselves. That's right. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good, to edification. Now, the qualifier here is that you're you're pleasing your neighbor for his good to edification, to edification, not to his good for his, the satisfaction of his own carnality. That's right. But to edification. That's right. For even Christ pleased not himself. Right, because the carnal Christian will take advantage of that. Absolutely. Well, I'm just offended by that. Right. You know, I the stumbling block issue can be greatly taken advantage of. Right. Of Inside, so. I'm saying, well, shut up. <laughs> right, but I can't say that on the outside. That's right. I can say that on the we podcast. All agree Sometimes you might be able to. We're all, we all agree that no beards for women. We, I, we agree with well, that. 
It depends on the culture. He just says, well. <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 19 and a half foot pole. Uh, Maybe what, Josh could offer us some I'm not saying a word. That's, well, that's, we've that's, talked that's about... That. We've talked about dress a little bit. We've talked about, um, you know, something that was, you know, personal to me. How about this? How about um, how about music? Standards of music. How that? Uh, it's a, it's amazing. Over twenty years now, we have we all come from churches that have very conservative music. I would say, uh, but other churches would not say so. They mm-hmm. would um, not say that our, or we may say of other churches that their music is uh, not the flavor or style that we would have. Um, what, what do you, what do you feel about that? How has with some music specifically, I guess we could speak both as a church and personally as well. I've already stated that, um, that my family and I listen to music personally, which we may not play in the church. And there are those who I can already hear say, well, that isn't right. Whatever, whatever's right for the church for is right for your home or vice versa. Right. I always say, well, I walk around in my pajamas at home, but I, I wouldn't at church. Um, what I wear at home, I wouldn't wear at church. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel about music? How do, we, how do we set a standard for, and again, I use the word standard, for music in our church um, that... Is good for all, so to speak. I, I grew up in. Um, if it wasn't Southern gospel, it's sin, and um, maybe, maybe that those terms, but but it was pure Southern go- all Southern gospel, and um, I grew up. Which that's a pretty broad spectrum, a broad brush, though, to it, say Southern it, gospel. It is. The more I've learned what Southern gospel was yeah. now, in those terms of where I grew up, what that meant was. Four-part harmony, male quartet. It's okay to have drums in their music, but we're not going to have that in our church. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I'd go to their concert, but we'd never invite them to our church. Did you clap? So And I clapped. Oh, man. And But you never have them in our church. So that's, that's, the, that's the way in which I grew up. Now, setting that aside, whether right or wrong, I'm not doing that. I come to Maine, and if you say Southern Gospel, that's not a big, well-known uh, genre of music <laughs> to the average Mainer. And uh, and when you say Southern Gospel, most of the Mainers are going to associate that with Christian country. You know, I'm somewhere between Jesus and John Wayne. You know, <laughs> that's actually a song, by yeah. the way. So um don't yeah so that's the association oh this so country it's so redneck i come to the church and and i learn just because it might work here again i'm going back to the cultural relevance it doesn't necessarily work there and we as a church have had to make a stronger stance on and there in the area of music of what's allowed, you know what I mean when I say allowed. I mean I think there has to be, uh, you know, this can't, we just can't allow this. What do you mean by stronger? Do you mean like tighter? I mean tighter. Or, okay. Uh, more, more what what some I would define as more conservative. Okay. Uh, our liberties have we we've kind of brought them in a little bit more. Which conserving is holding to that's right. What's been done in the past. 
right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, let me give you an example. This might, you know, my, my, my wife and I sing, uh, my children sing, and we would start, you know, we'd, we'd put in the soundtrack and go. And we stand there with the microphone and sing the song with whatever soundtrack. Um, thankfully, can music. What's that it's called? Canned can music. Canned music. Is it? Why is it? Never mind. I'm not going there. I call it a soundtrack. So now I'm thankful. First off, I have a son who I can say, "Man, I really like this song. Can you get the music to it?" And he can play the piano, and we can sing. I, I personally, one reason is I like the fact that my son can be involved when, when Dusk and I sing together. My son can play. It makes it more of a family. Also, I learned that in any, any, any area, I do it on the, on the school bus. If you allow, if you say this, well, th- folks are going to push and try to go a little farther. And, well... This one was okay. How come this one was okay? Well, that's because the the you know, whoever played in this one doesn't match. This one's a little more contemporary. And now I'm starting to have, I have to start making subjective decisions. And I realize that's not gonna, that's not good for our church. We had to take it. All right, you know what? We're done with that. We're just gonna go strictly. If it can be played on the piano, play it. Um, if not. We'll sing a cappella. You, you get what I'm what I'm saying. I do. Can I? Can I? This is a fun thing for me to wrestle with. Okay. So what's interesting is that we th- we use a lot of terms like contemporary. We do, okay? and I don't mean to. just No, but keep this using is good it. because but, yeah. this is how this is the language that people use. It is yeah. in our churches, and they use these words, they use these terms, they use this but language. You call it contemporary Christian right? music, and we're at a place where we are primarily examining. First and foremost, the music itself, secondarily examining the message contained within the music. I agree to that. Whereas primarily, we should be examining the message within the music first. And then I also agree with you that that culture is not immediately transferable. No, okay? it's not. Here's what's hilarious to me. I hear you saying to me that you, you know, you're like, you've had to become more conservative. But at family camp last year, you guys sang a song that, mm-hmm. that, I I loved it. It was a blessing. But I know in some church congregations it wouldn't you know, it wouldn't fly. Agreed. They would say not conservative enough. And then there's on the other spectrum churches that would say Which makes it very Man, subjective. that's like the doxology it's so that's right. you know. <laughs> so um when we examine when when I look at music for our church, first and foremost is going to be content. And we've taken we have sung songs congregationally, that as we're singing the song, I'm looking at the doctrine of the song and thinking, we don't agree with that. That's that's not what the Bible teaches. And so I'll take that moment, and before we preach, we'll open up to the hymn book and say, we just sang this song. Here's what, here's what this teaches. This is why we disagree with this, and now we need to decide, is it, is it wise for us to sing this song again? right in the future. I'm smiling because I literally, we just did this. Sure. Yeah. But then, okay, so, but a lot of people are making their decisions based upon primarily, well, and I don't understand music like some people do, y- you know, placement of beat and timing, all of that. That's not my strength. Um, but I know that some people, I've been in a church where they 
pasted over certain songs with the message, this is not appropriate for singing at our church, right? Hmm. And it was based strictly based upon a tradition, I believe a tradition of men as it pertains to music, um, specifically that whole, I just, my experience, it was the whole BJU Frank Garlock vein of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And that affected their entire, so, so they're looking at style first. Mm-hmm. I've said it a hundred times now. Style first, message second. It ought to be the reverse. And style ought to be, I think it should be reverential, worshipful. Well, I mean, going back to you, the uses of words, you said contemporary. Yeah. We got to be, and that. Yeah, CCM. I'm, Ron Hamilton. Okay. I'm thankful for Patch the Pirate. I yeah. grew up listening to Patch the Pirate. I grew up with Rejoice in the Lord, mm-hmm. um, Obedience, Listen for the trumpet. You know, these are great songs. They're in our hymnal yeah. at our church. Um, Ron Hamilton, by definition of contemporary, is a contemporary Christian artist. Because all contemporary means is he's here now. Right. right. Correct? Right. So um, so using that word, I know it might, well, that's semantics, and I understand, but we got to be careful. If we're, well, that's contemporary. Well, so is Rejoice in the Lord. But Rejoice in the Lord sticks. Here's, like, why does some music last? Why does some music last? Because the doctrine, the doctrine is. is sound. That's and it's centered on God and it's pleasing to him. And so because it's pleasing to him, it edifies the body of Christ. And I think that's why it sticks. Hmm. I don't know. What do you what do you think, Brother Riley? <laughs> You're just, just watching letting... the dumpster fire. <laughs> no. <laughs> I am I'm sitting here. I grew up in a church that actually had a saying which they would say, the music should reach your heart and not reach your toe. That's mm. that's what was said. Like Chad said, our hymn books had songs pasted over specifically because of the author. Um, anything by Bill Gaither was wrong. So, mm. but they, um, but we would sing a millennialist, right? Doctrinal. But song. then you, but then you know, right. for instance, the song <laughs> "Because He Lives" completely wrong and was pasted over because of who the author was. Whereas we would sing, it is well with my soul, where verse four, everyone's favorite verse, biblically, the author got it wrong. Exactly. Yeah. He got it completely yes. wrong. When, and what's the line? Well, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. That's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when Not he's coming for rapture. Israel. But yet he's writing it like it's for the rapture. Right. Look, we sing the song. I don't have time to sharpie mark up the hymn book. Because those are the words of man. And right, because I'm not considering it the scriptures. Right. This isn't this isn't the scripture. So that's that's the um that's the church where I grew up. <clears throat> now um Music becomes a because we've gone through a major evolution process as well. When you're dealing with people about music and and uh, you're trying to do what's right for everybody, and it can become quite a where the traditions of men and the truths of the Word of God collide. I call it it's where worlds collide. Mm-hmm. Who's going to win? Well, the scriptures have to win, and music. <clears throat> If you look at any poll, why people choose the church they choose, the number one reason is music. Number one, what kind of music? They, they don't care what Bible you use. Right. Uh, number one, 
is music number two is what programs do you have for Which me is and not my a children. good commentary for this. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. And so the number one reason is music. And I don't want people to come to our church for the music. Now I want to have great music. And I believe we do. But music uh, has always been uh, a struggle. It's not as much now because over 20 years we've established who we are. Um, but we also, let's say it as well, um, our church at Churchill has luxuries that other churches don't have. We have no less than 8, 10, 12 people who can play the piano. Whereas, so we've developed it here. We don't use soundtracks. We just don't use them. Right. Um, right. <laughs> if somebody apparently it's called canned music, yeah, so. right. <laughs> so if if somebody wants to sing a song, I always tell them, well, uh, my wife will be glad to help you find the sheet music for that, and, you know. And if someone has the wrong motive, then that kind of weeds them out because they don't want to go through that effort. Right. They don't want to go through the effort. When I've got it right here on CD, I want to sing it like this artist does. So over the years, that's, that's just weeded weeded that out because they don't want to go through the effort to actually find the music and practice with the piano. And, but I also want to speak to a pastor out there who has no pianist, okay? Yeah. Uh, what does he do? I'm not saying soundtracks are wrong. They are not. They are not wrong. Although I would say there are some churches who would call soundtracks wrong if right. they're not the... Uh, uh, appropriate style. Um, I preached in a church not too long ago that would take the stand that our music is ungodly, is wrong at our church. They actually asked me to preach, and act and my children, you know, my sons play the violins, and I've got a daughter that plays the mandolin, and a daughter that plays the guitar, and their wife is from their wife, yeah, their mother is from. Eastern Kentucky, the heart of Appalachia. We love bluegrass music, and so my children play in a bluegrass style. And there were some folks in that church that knew that and wanted us to play while we were there. And I just, I just said no. I, I just said no I, I, because I knew it would be an offense mm. to some people that were there. And I just said no. This we're here to be an encouragement, and this would, this would. This would not be an encouragement. It'd be an encouragement to you, sure. but it would not be an encouragement to the whole. And um, so, yeah, music is music is is can be a very touchy issue. But music is, I believe, was it the prophet Elisha who had a message to deliver to Israel, and he called for a minstrel. Mm. I mean, there is precedent in the Word of God the the use of music to bring forth the word of God. Look, you can do it without it. I get it. Um, but there is, I do believe, I do believe that it does prepare. There is a preparation of the heart to receive the word of God, but it needs to be done rightly. And I think traditions of men have crashed into mm. what is and what is not good music. We um, are our youth pastor and so he he can play the guitar. My son plays the guitar. One of, your nephew, uh, when your your nephew plays the guitar, but is going to learn the banjo, you know. And and I know that um, the same thing. Like it'll work for us. But but even I was having a discussion yesterday with somebody. But you know, even the way a banjo's played would either draw attention to 
itself or the instrumentalist as opposed to directing attention to the Lord. Hmm. And I guess we have to remember that, that, I guess we have to remember, we have to be convinced in our mind that music, it's first and foremost for the Lord. You know, he is the one who created music. It is for him. It is worship. So, you know, we don't just randomly rotate through music. Um, the music for us on a Sunday adheres to a theme. And typically that theme is going to be aligned with the series or the message that we're being preached. And, you know, that helps prepare people to receive the word of God. Uh, um, and so it's not a random assortment. I think every church at one time or another has on a Wednesday night done favorites, right? And we've all had that like wonderful experience where we've wa- either been the song leader or watched our song leader say, well, I don't know it, but we'll do our best, right? <laughs> yes. And there's always going to be a first time visitor that mm-hmm. night that comes, right? Uh, but do you think that we have more, do you think that we have more latitude in music than maybe we let on? I, I believe so. It comes to discernment. We need to have spiritual discernment. You know, I hear some camp say, you know, they talk about the Red Book, you know, which I guess is some hymn book that obviously we don't sing from. So Our hymn books are blue. Right. Kind of ordered them um, I was hearing some fundamentalist them. speak, and he was talking about, you know, and shouting out the... You know, we're Bible-loving, devil-hating. We sing from the Red Book, and I don't know what the Red Book is, but maybe someone can help me with that. Um, There are those who say, well, it needs to be a hymn. You know, it needs to, you know, we don't sing anything but hymns. We don't accept anything. Which is like, okay, define that. Right. Or or we'll say we don't want to sing anything that's, you know, newer than 100 years ago or or whatever it is. Why? You wear clothes that are newer than 100 <laughs> right. years old, thankfully. You know, you don't go to the bathroom in an outhouse anymore, right. I assume. But it, it's, it comes to spiritual discernment. And, and of the issues that we've talked about, the three that we've talked about, I'm hoping we have time for one more. Totally. Uh, uh, of the issues that we've talked about, I would say that this would be the greatest stumbling block with people, uh, is music. And uh, music is to enhance, it is to point... It's not to distract. Uh, you talked about the message uh, as well as the method. I, I think the messenger as well. Mm-hmm. That what is the, the messenger, the one who is singing? What are are they bringing attention to themselves, or are they uh, bringing attention to the truth in the song? And uh, would they be as willing to sing this if no one could see them? If they sang from another room? Would they be as willing to hmm. sing this as right. they want to see? Anyway, any other things about music? Again, we're not going to talk one about weird everything. Thing? It's not weird, but it's we- maybe it's weird to me. One of the weirdest things to me, just oddest things, is that a and and I, and it's not there's not it's not wrong. It just strikes me as odd. Is many many times, you know, a Bible college. They'll have a promotions department, right? And and because they want people to know that there's a Christian school that's available, and they're they're going to promote it. And part of that promotions is typically some kind of musical group, right? A, a quartet or or whatnot. And so you have you have young people, right, who who are coming to your church, 
who definitely have they they have they're, they're gifted right they're gifted they can they can sing and but a lot of times some i listen to to what's being sung and i think i would rather hear you know a 75 year old man who's faithfully served the lord his whole life sing that song because then it, you talk about messenger it has weight mm-hmm. it has weight for a, for mm. a, a saint a true saint of god to sing about god's faithfulness god's been good and sometimes i think that when we're when we forget you know we we forget the messenger aspect we have the wrong people singing the the right song you know what i mean mhm and and so sometimes i'm struck by the irony of young people college age students who are who still are not even developed singing about things that they have no way to have experienced yet. Do, do you know what I'm talking An about? An interesting thought, sure. You know, and, and so even as we pick songs for our for our kids to sing, they've got to be appropriate not just to in 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 style, but also a, the the message has got to be appropriate mm. to their life and because you're a vessel being used of God to communicate something about God. And if it's not yours, you can't really give what you don't have. So if your five-year-old is singing, as I look throughout the years, right, right. all the hurts and all the tears, it's just, perhaps uh, he doesn't have a... I mean, there's going to be right. old women weeping because it's so cute, right. but it's I don't know that it's edifying to the believer. I see what you're saying, yeah. yes. I'm just weird like that. <laughs> no, but there's truth in that. If we're supposed to look at the messenger, and as pastors, it's, you know, if we're if we're given the oversight thereof, then we have to think about those things. You know, not just is it cute, you know. And, and we have in our church, we have a lot of a lot of p- instrumentalists as well, pianists as well. And sometimes there's a temptation for a parent. You know, they see their child playing in church as a performance. And so they pull their camera out and they want to record their child's performance. And what's lost is this is actually supposed to be worship for the Lord. And so, like, for example, Christmas, there's all kinds of uh, Christmas music, you know, that that 11 months out of the year we're able to avoid. But come December... Bah, humbug. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but there was one particular... Come December. That's like November 1st. Yeah. There was one particular Christmas song that was played at our church this past Christmas. Three times it was played on the piano. And people, when it's done, they're like, oh, you know, amen. But they don't know what the title is. They don't know what the message of the song, they don't know what the words are. So what are they amening? They're amening a performance. It wasn't the Grinch, was it? It wasn't the Grinch. Everybody knows that one. If I were to think long enough, I'd remember it. But I, I sat there thinking... None of us know what this song is about. Hmm. We don't know the words of this song. It's a common Chris. It could be the Nutcracker for all I know, but everybody knows it's a Christmas song. And so we love Christmas. And so we just amen. And so we drag, we drag this into our worship, but we don't know what the message of the song is. And hmm. if it doesn't point to the Lord, then what profit is there in it? Not that I don't, I love Christmas. But I know at Christmas we we just we let more in 
You guys are just staring at me blankly. I, I, no, I I'd rather you, you wear a tie. Yeah. So, what's the last thing you wanted to well, touch I, on? Well, I just this. Um, um, probably seven years ago, our church uh, changed our schedule, our worship schedule, which I didn't realize at the time that Jesus and the disciples mm -hmm. had church at, you know, Sunday school, <laughs> Sunday morning at 1030, then they had a six o'clock Sunday night service. I, di I didn't realize that. So, um, about seven years ago, so this isn't COVID related. We've been doing this for years before COVID came for multiple reasons. First off, by the way, because I believe it's the biblical model. I do not think that when they came together in the book of Acts, that they came together in the morning, went home, had lunch, watched football, took a nap, and then came back again. I just don't think that happened. The Bible says they came together to break bread. They came together to spend the day together. Um, so our Sunday, we call it our day with the Lord. That's what we call it now. Consists of about, we're together for about seven hours. But yet when we went to this schedule, we were told by those in the faith that you're compromising, you're, um, you're doing less. And I said, really? You're together for seven hours on Sundays? Mm. You know, we start at nine, getting ready for Sunday school. We have men's prayer. Uh, we have Sunday school, Sunday morning church. We go downstairs, eat together, come back upstairs, have uh, our afternoon service. Then we have our music practices after. And it's, well, it's yesterday. It was almost four o'clock before we actually left the property. So... Where did, where did, you know, having a Wednesday night service at seven, let's just say it, we're in Maine, okay? Um, it's dark at four o'clock. I mm -hmm. mean, dark, mm -hmm. black at four o'clock. What is wrong with being done by three o'clock so that your old folks can get home before mm -hmm. it gets, you know, uh, I didn't, where did, where did schedule times become a stumbling block, whether or not you have a Sunday night service at all. I've got a good friend that I preach for. Their church has been in existence for years, never's had a Sunday night service. What if you don't have a Wednesday night service? Is is that okay scripturally? Will will those people still go to heaven? Well, if, I think they'll still go to where heaven. Where did that come from? I mean, they're probably <laughs> going to have... It's, they're they're going to have... Are they going to be a servants, lower level. servants at the, <laughs> right. at a the lower marriage? Level, okay. Right, lower level of heaven. Basically, what's going to happen is the amount of time you're in church is computed okay. into the judgment. Into the judgment. Okay. And also the number of miles you drove to get there. That's right. No, I th But um, does it come back to, to Mark, where a tradition of man is dragged into the category of a commandment of God? Because if you study Sunday night church... You're not going to go back any further. I understand Paul preached till midnight. I, I, I get it. Right, but, but someone almost died. Right. They did die. <laughs> uh, now, I was going to ask you, did you study this? Because I personally never have no. where Sunday night came You from. won't find, do you, uh, those on the prairie that mm -hmm. came into the church there in town, you really think they did that? You don't find a Sunday night service regularly until the urbanization of 
sure. culture right. where people could literally walk or yep. do you really think Charles Ingalls hitched mm. up his team of horses you know, morning and night to go into Willow Creek or whatever it was. I'm, Walnut that's, Grove. Walnut Grove. Walnut sorry, Grove. Forgive me. <laughs> and they weren't Baptists, so we. Uh, but you know, my point but is, they love the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt that through my own study that the biblical model. Now, whatever churches decide to do, whatever it doesn't matter to me. But I felt what worked well for us, and it wasn't just convenience. There are those who say, well, you're just doing this because it's convenient. Well, spending twice as much time at church on a Sunday isn't convenient. Um, And literally, when we get home, we are done. I fall asleep in my chair when I get home. But I I led the people to this because I really did feel that it was the biblical model. When God's people came to worship, they came to spend the day together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not judging anyone else for what they do. I'm just saying that um, churches have liberty to determine what schedule works for them as long as they do assemble. Mm-hmm. They must assemble. And I do believe, according to the scriptures, that it's a weekly yeah. assembling. You know, it talks about on the first day of the week, do this. So I get from it that it should at least be a weekly uh, assembly. But anyway, I've talked enough. I want to hear from you all. I mean, I think it should be the first. I, sh- I think bare minimum. Oh, sure. First day On of the, the Lord's week, Day. You know, on the Lord's Day. But, um, you know, we, we obviously we, we influence each other, you know, and, and so I know that that decision uh, had influence in our church. Same here. And, yep. You know, we we went to we we called it Fellowship Sundays for the longest time, but COVID was actually a, um, was disruptive, and I I think it was disruptive for us in a good way, hmm. because for us I I kind of wonder if the the Fellowship Sundays looking back, you know, there was for some the meal time was not a help. It, it became a hindrance for them personally, but that's because you have to choose. You have to choose wisely. If you know that, if you know that pasta is going to make you less attentive for Sunday, then don't eat pasta. Eat a salad. <laughs> Be wise enough to make that. Die to self a little. Hmm. Um, but we've shifted to where we have. We actually we have Sunday school. The Sunday school model for us takes place on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights is when we have all of our break, our class breakdowns. We've got our youth group, we've got adult Bible study, and all the kids groups. All that happens on a Wednesday night. And for us, the reason it happens on a Wednesday night is because people who work hard day in and day out, when they come to church on a Wednesday night, I mean, what do you do when you've worked hard on a Monday and a Tuesday? You go home, you sit in your chair, and, and you just... You ease into bed. You take a nap on the way to bed sometimes. But on Wednesday night, I recognize our ministry needs to be more active. It needs to there needs to be more um, interaction, more movement, and that helps people. Right? They've got a place to serve. They've got responsibilities. They're teaching. You're developing teachers. And actually, in where we would where many churches have a Sunday school time, we have a prayer time 
where our church meets. There's about 30 of us that come on a Sunday morning at 945, and we pray together out loud in the sanctuary in corporate prayer. And so that's when our prayer meeting is. We have our service from 1030 till about noontime. And then we don't have a Sunday night service, but we have afternoon Bible studies. So I host in my home a weekly 2 o'clock Bible study. There is a bi-weekly Bible study, one that's in my home and the others in the deacon's home that rotate. And, and I do have a, a scriptural principle for this. Paul says in Acts 20, he's talking to the Ephesians, Acts 20, 20. He says, and how I kept back nothing, 2020. That's interesting. I just thought of that. <laughs> 2020. Um, I've kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Publicly and from house to house. And, and it's, I think one of the errors is that we have compartmentalized teaching and preaching of the word of God to the church house right. and not in the farmhouse. So we're trying to teach our men to rightly divide the word of truth, rightly understand it, and then teach in their own home, teach the word of God. Because you don't know what days are ahead. Uh, we learned from COVID, right? That you don't know what you're going to be. I have a pastor friend in Quebec who right now they're not allowed to assemble. Um, they're having to go virtual. But it's, that's our model. We have small groups, which are which I have oversight of and preach on Sunday mornings, prayer time. Yeah, And that's different, but it fits the rhythm mm. and the needs of our church. You're looking at me. I am. So our church, we um, we hold more to the tradition, traditional. We still have our three services. We do not have Sunday night in the definition of what everybody calls Sunday night service. We do have lunch, which you mentioned convenient. You know, but, well, we got to do things out of convenience. Why not? <laughs> it's not very convenient sometimes when you're looking with Saturday night going, what are we making for lunch tomorrow? Right. You got to take it. You know what I mean? Is it more work to feed 35 or five? Exactly. Right. So our, our style is I love is the still... convenient argument. Oh, you're just doing that out of convenience. Well, let's meet at 530 in the morning. Do you want to meet then? Well, yeah. no. Well, why not? That's well, convenient. that's not very convenient for me sure. to come at 530. Sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. so meeting at 1030 is convenient. Okay, yeah. thank you. So Next. We, um, <laughs> so we have our lunch. We, we do a potluck style still. Um, and then afternoon service. And we're Baptists. We don't believe in luck. So they're pot belly dinners. That's what I call them. So that's terrible. Regular. Um, and in the afternoon service, we, we will still sing some songs. We'll have a, what you and I would call a regular service. Mm -hmm. They're still preaching. And then Wednesday night, same idea. Um, we meet at seven. Um, regular. What you, what you and I would call the regular service there. I am working and developing um, a new way on Wednesday night because I believe it's good for the pastor to stop being the voice. It's good to hear from your people. And uh, Brother Jaron brought this one up with me, and I think he said at Family Camp, where are you at in the Bible? Where are you at in the Word? Terrible grammar, but a good idea. And so that's what we call it on Wednesday nights. It's where are you at? What have you been studying? 
and I, I will I will share for me, but I tell the church, I said, you always know what I'm studying because that becomes the sermons. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So where are you at? And and it's it's been really profitable for our church to listen to one another. I, I've been reading over here. Pastor, what do you think about this? You know, and I will tell them I'm not the final authority. God's word is. Um, but we will we will walk through a passage because somebody brings up a thought. And um it's been it's been a challenge, but it's also been very, very, very profitable for our people. The the fellowship on Sundays where the Bible says in Acts 2 they had fellowship and a breaking of bread. The, the two are connected. If you sit down and eat with one another, you get to know each other. You get to you get to learn. And yeah, like all good Baptists, we are creating our tables in the fellowship hall. Everybody kind of sits at the same. But I personally, purposefully, um, will wait and sit with somebody different every week. I like to rotate. I told our church that just yesterday. I like to rotate until and sit with somebody different every every week just because I want to fellowship. I want to get to know you more. Um, well, they've been a member for 20 years. Great, but there's still things about them I want to get to know. Let's talk. Let's enjoy this time. And um, and I think that's missing. Churches, for, 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 from what I grew up or from what I know, you walk through the door, you sit down, you listen to what the guy says, wonderful, shake his hand after church, good message, pastor. You walk out and you don't see him again until next Sunday. Where's the fellowship? Right. And um, so... Well, and where's the discipleship? Where's the... Yeah, because fellowship is going to breed into that discipleship. Right. But right? you're getting that on Wednesday nights because you're drawing out of people. That's right. You're finding out what they really understand and what they... That's right. Or what you need to understand better. Because so I'm learning from, from them. Right. Oh, wow. They either missed what I had said right. because, oh, they're drawing a conclusion that I obviously was against, or not against, but I said something different. Or maybe I didn't say it right, mm-hmm. and we need to let's let's talk about this again. Um, our we don't have a traditional Sunday school um, just because of our church size. We literally have one class uh, as the adults, and what children are there? We have one family with children and my children, and um, so Isaiah, my oldest, has actually taught them. He's actually teaching them, um, so he'll take them downstairs and teach. Uh, Duska would do it from time to time. And then upstairs, we call it meat in the word. And it's not meat as in gather, but meat as in steak. Yeah. And um, we get into some of the deeper things. Um, and it, it's it's really enjoyable. But that's our, what our quote-unquote Sunday school time. It's not the traditional, you're four, you go here. You're five, you go here. You know, you're 30, you're over here, you're 40. You know, we, we don't have the facility or the ability to do that. Um, but it, it personally, I've really enjoyed that hour, what we call meat in the word. Um, it's open discussion. I'd normally come in, for instance, we studied um, just this past week what the word begotten means in John three sixteen. why it's important the word begotten is there and not one and only son. Um, and we walked through scripture with the word begotten and it was just really, not that that wouldn't be profitable for a regular Sunday morning service. It's just for, for the, the small group, if I can use the, here we go, the contemporary church word, small group. But if I can use the small group aspect, that's what we do. Yeah. 
and it's really fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, I think it's profitable. So we would all agree that there's plenty of latitude there. It's not, yeah, yeah. But it's funny how triggering. We we learned a new word, triggering. When you say small group, it's like oh, exactly, small yeah. groups, huh? Oh, you're one of those churches. Yeah. But you know what? You have to. We all let every man is going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Truth. So, and I know that in the past two years, by having, like yesterday, we had, I don't know, we usually have anywhere from 15 to 20 people voluntarily show up to our home and it's packed tight. It is, if ever there was a super spreader event, it would probably be <laughs> Bible study at pastor's house. But then you really begin to find out as people ask questions. What is their depth of understanding, hmm. and what is their and and what are the holes in my explanations or my teaching holes in my understanding? We have to have a process. There's more than just preaching, right? There has to be Second Timothy two two the same, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's either going to happen in your living room or it's going to happen at some Bible college somewhere, hmm. and we just have to take responsibility for it. I do anyway. It's mine. Yep. Well, let's look at the time here. About an hour, 35 minutes. We've covered a lot of good stuff. Oh, my huh? goodness. I <laughs> didn't yep. realize it was that long. Oh, it's okay. We could actually, we should probably wrap it up. I think so. Okay. So give us a good word. Well, the good word would be this, 1 Corinthians 2.13. Since we have... Um, since we have thoroughly spoken, we've answered all arguments as far as what is non-essential. Oh, yeah. Let's do what the Word of God says. Yeah, there's nothing else to say. (laughs) The Bible says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. If we're going to say something is biblical, then it ought to be clearly taught in the Word of God. That's what we're going to bring to you today. From Backwoods Theology, we'll be coming back to you again with another great topic here real soon. But until then, Godspeed and God bless.